This episode of Better in the Dark is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download at www.audiblepodcast.com slash betterinthedark. Over 85,000 titles to choose from for your iPod or MP3 player. Sign up for a free 14-day trial, including a free download of your first book, just for trying out their service. Some of the available titles include Rogue Mail by Jeffrey Household, Face to Face by Ellery Queen, and The Hunter by Richard Stark. So after you finish listening to BITD, why don't you go to www.audiblepodcast.com slash better in the dark and get your free audiobook today. We all feel better. We all feel better in the dark. Director's court is in session as my pen gets to stepping. I'm in the back section. Events I'm digesting. Stephen J. Cannell is the next on the docket. Derek and Tom Vetter and Black Gavel knock it and drop it. Charges. Really did he harvest? Johnny Depp, Michael Chiklis, and Baracus. Hannibal Beretta and a once great hero. Had America locked in way before TiVo. Hey yo, this man's a straight up menace. Forgive me, Holly Roberts is numbering. I'll forget this. Witness, Mr. T taking a stand. I blew up everything, but no one died by my hands. Hey yo, what's the verdict? Let's get to it in earnest. But you better go pee, cause I only broke the surface. Rest in peace to a great, great man. Y'all kick it with 95. I'm a chill. In the van, I'm the man. What you doing, sucker? And until we get back in touch with you, go watch that movie. Right, Davin? Go watch that movie. Oye, oye, oye. Be it known to all within the sound of our voices that Director's Court is now in session. Presiding over this court is the Honorable Thomas D.J. and the Honorable Derek Ferguson. Standing Standing before before us today for summary judgment, Stephen J. Cannell. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. You may be seated. We are now back from our two-week trip in space. Here come the judges. Here come the judges. (laughs) Everybody look out, because here come the judges. You've told the Cosmic Liberace he can't come on. And now it's time to go back down to Earth. And honor a great, great man. First of all, we hope that you enjoyed our two-part Star Trek extravaganza, mm-hmm. which kind of capped off the summer of fun. Oh, it was a, a late summer of fun. In our hearts, is always yes. the summer of fun. It was an enjoyable couple of weeks. Yeah, we hope that you folks out there enjoyed it as and much we, as we enjoyed bringing it to you. And we want to once again thank our co-hosts for those two episodes. Michael David Sims and Eric Frome. We, yeah, man, we want to thank all of our co-hosts throughout. all throughout the summer. All of you right. guys were wonderful. We had a lot of fun. It was very informative. I know I learned a lot of things mm-hmm. I didn't know, especially about our co-hosts. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just hoping we can come up with something else as enjoyable next summer. Yeah. Ahead of us, we're going to honor a person who unfortunately recently passed away. But before we do that, we got some administrative stuff. And we also have the reminder that... Better in the Dark is brought to you by the good people at Audible.com, who invite you to get a free audiobook download at www.audiblepodcast.com 
slash better in the dark. They've now added a whole bunch of new stuff. They now have over 85,000 titles to choose from. The deuce you say! I'm just saying. And you can go down that site, download an MP3 file that you can play in your iPod or any MP3 player which you can enjoy at your heart's content. Some are 750 some are free. And of course, as I always do, as I, he always do, he finds something on Audible.com relevant to the subject matter of whatever we're talking about in that particular episode. Stephen J. Canal, as you know, was not only a television producer, but a noted mystery author, and you can find a lot of his books on Audible.com, including Final Victim, narrated by the author, Hollywood Tough, a Shane Scully novel, and this is interesting, a mystery, a dark and stormy night, Los Angeles Times Festival of Books, which features readings by Stephen J. Cannell, Jan Burke, Robert Dugoni and Craig Johnson. Matter of fact, I have a couple of Stephen J. Cannell's mm-hmm. books I've read myself that I will be recommending at right. the end of this if you guys want to pick them up. Now, something interesting. I had heard it rumored because yep. Stephen J. Cannell, along with Richard Patterson and a couple of other mystery writers, were occasional guest stars on the show Castle. Yes. There are three or four books out, supposedly written by the title character. By Castle, But I yes. heard that it was Stephen J. Cannell that actually wrote them. That I do not know. I'm looking at his Wikipedia Page, and I'm just taking a look to see if it mentions anything about Because they even did a little tribute to him yeah. in one of the shows. You know how at the end mm-hmm. of every Stephen J. Cannell show, right. he had the typewriter and yep. take this piece of paper. Because he and was, they did that. And that was a little bit of a lie because he was dyslexic. He did this the way a few authors did, which is that he dictated to a yeah. typist. Yeah. And she actually typed, which was the most remarkable thing mm-hmm. about the man when I learned that he was dyslexic and as prolific a writer. He produced more novels than yeah. college professors who can read and speak with no problem. And we'll get back to that, but first we have to remind you, if you want to get audiobook versions of many of his novels, just go to audiblepodcast.com backslash better in the dark. Audible.com Okay, we have a couple of brief announcements. Yes, we do. Before we continue. First off, time you hear this, it's going to be the 21st of November. Those of you who have already applied to be... Official formal calling guests have gotten your instructions. We are going to be recording on December the 3rd, starting 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Now, all you guys who have talked about, oh, I want to be on the show, I want to be on the show, you have not stepped up. But we're going to give you another chance. You can, once again, and we're going to go over the rules very briefly, Mm -hmm. in a few moments, put in a formal request, or, if you want... You can get on Skype. We're going to be using Derek's Skypes. If you're on my Skype, but are not on his, shoot us an email to let us know. You should get a formal. But if you are on Derek's Skype, just be around on 11 a.m. December 3rd. Put in your Skype message at the top. Put in available for call-in show. The people who put in their formal requests, go first. Because they did all their homework. After we're done with them, if we have time, we will go and pay you a visit. Now... If you want to file a formal request, here are the ground rules. Once again, we will choose 12 calling guests with six standby alternates. Right now we have seven. Mm-hmm. So there are still five formal guests and all the standbys are available. To be chosen as a calling guest, send an email to betterinthedark at earth2.net. That's betterinthedark at earth-2.net with your name and location, i.e. John Smith from Smithville, Alabama. Your Skype number and handle, even if we have it, 
and the subject you want to talk about. After we get that, we will notify you via email. Be available during the time period we ask. We're going to try to tell you between 11 and 12. Or we will call you via Skype during that time. Please keep your call to 10 minutes or less. If you take less than 10 minutes, we will call one of the six backups. And if there's any questions, let us know. Formal guest requesters will be guaranteed a spot. Regardless, you're good to go. Now I guess it's time to bring up the lucre. Well, yeah, we can do that. We might as well. Okay. We'll bring up the filthy lucre. Here's the situation, folks. Tom and I, as you know, we've been following us. We've been doing this now for five years, right? We're going to be about five, five years. Yes. Okay. In all that time, we've had a ball doing this and hasn't been a problem. But now it's getting toward the point where that we need help from you mm-hmm. in order to keep on bringing you this fine entertainment as well as the singing that right. you've grown accustomed to. <laughs> so what we're asking is that out of the goodness of your heart, the spirit moves you to make a donation toward right. better in the dark. Whatever you I'd also like to like, say, go if right you, ahead. you really want to do the full nine yards, you can also go to earth2.net, the people who are very kind enough to host us and have hosted us for the last year and change. Yeah. There is a donation button on the left-hand side. Click it. Give a little bit to Mike so he can help with the bandwidth and all the stuff that he kindly, out of the goodness of his heart, gives to us. Okay. We're not requiring you to donate. We're just asking you if you feel that what we've given you these last five years is worth it and you feel like it, pay it back a little. We're not even telling you how much to pay. Put down that crack pipe for we yeah. did. It's a, it's a donation. You could now. Do we don't trust PayPal. No, no. I had a very bad experience with PayPal a few years ago. I think I might have told you folks about it, but yeah, we don't trust yeah. PayPal. So what you can do, if you want to send us a donation, you can send it to Better in the Dark, care of Thomas DJ, Myrtle Sporting Goods, 5716 Myrtle Avenue, Ridgewood, New York, 11385. That's Better in the Dark, care of Thomas DJ, Myrtle Sporting Goods, 5716 Myrtle Avenue, Ridgewood, New York, 11385. We're not pressuring you or anything. No, no, not at all. But we're just saying that we do have certain operating costs in order to keep this coming to you. And we've been coming out of our pocket with it for these past five years. And we're just asking for a little help. That's all. If you can, you can. If you can't, no harm, no foul. Right. So now that the begging is over, we can put away the tin cups. Right. And we're going (laughs) to do a tiny bit of listener mail. Tiny? Tiny bit. Okay. We've had listener mail that has built up since September. Well, I keep telling you we need to just do an episode where we just do the mail and get it out of the way. Okay. Well, we'll do it like a little bit at a time over the next three episodes. This is from Dylan Dietzman, and he goes, Hey, Tom. Well, he was messaging me on Facebook. I listened to your show, DJ Comics Cavalcade, and I checked out some of your episodes of Better in the Dark, and I was wondering if you have ever reviewed any of the Matrix movies. Well, once again, the white man gets all the credit. Really, I just want to know if you reviewed <laughs> the first one, because the other two are kind of suckish. Hope you have, because I love that movie. Now, Derek... We've kind of yes, alluded sir. to in the past that you have a, how shall we put it, unique viewpoint of The Matrix. I do it? What's that? You expressed to me in the past, and you've mentioned on this show, that mm-hmm. you're not entirely fond of their intestines. I've kind of moderated my position on The Matrix because mm-hmm. I can understand why people love it so much. I really do. However, see, here's my problem. And mm-hmm. I think it's the same problem you do, too. Right. See, me and you have been reading comic books and science fiction right. and watching Hong Kong action movies for the past 20, 30 years. So, I'm sorry. There was nothing in The Matrix that was surprising to me at okay. all. If I had been 13 or 14 years old and seen The Matrix for the first time, I would think it was the greatest thing since right. sliced bread. I looked at it and I said, eh, it's all right. 
But it wasn't the mind blow. You know the best thing that was in that movie, as far as I'm concerned? What? Monica Bellucci. In the second film. In the second film. Oh, yeah. So don't say that the next two was sucky. They the, had thing, the thing that amazed me about Monica Bellucci is, have you ever seen Victor Casal, her husband? He's as ugly as... I know. I'm like sitting there like, one of these things is not like the other. He is but ugly. Yeah. But... but but, like we all... And as we've pointed out before, the beloved Kristen Bell, mm-hmm. who is she engaged to? Dax Shepard. Oh, Dax Shepard, yeah. Also, not exactly a handsome guy. Yeah, well, okay, but I can see that more than I can see Monica okay. Bellucci yeah, and Cassell. But what can I say? But also, they had that long car chase sequence with the car and the motorcycle yeah. and the truck. I enjoyed that about The Matrix. This is the funniest thing to me about The Matrix. The people that were championing it when it first originally came are the ones that's turning on it now and saying yeah. how sucky and horrible it is. Mm-hmm. I don't get that. The other thing that I wanted to point out is that we probably would not have been aware of a man by the name of Hugo Weaving if it wasn't for The Matrix. There you go. I think Mr. Smith was a great villain throughout all three of the films. Yeah. And Hugo Weaving has proven to be a great actor. Oh, yeah. We're recording it. It's Guy Fawkes Day. (laughs) (laughs) As a matter of fact, what did I watch last night? V for Vendetta. V for Vendetta, yeah. Have you seen the pictures of him as the Red Skull? I've seen a couple, yeah. Oh, man. Here's a guy who went through the whole movie without his face being shown. Mm -hmm. See if you can talk Tom Cruise into acting through a whole movie and his face is never seen. The guy is... I mean, guy is amazing. He's awesome. And V for Vendetta. Yes, folks, I know it's not as good as the graphic novel. But as much as I don't like Natalie Portman, I like her in mm-hmm. V for Vendetta. It's, it's a great film. Yeah, I love it. Well, I have one more piece of Did we story. ever answer this question about The Matrix, by the way? I just <laughs> wanted to know what we thought of The Matrix film. Oh, I, I never saw the second two. I only saw the first one. Okay. In the theaters. I liked it a lot. And actually, speaking as a black man myself, yeah. one of the reasons why I do like the Matrix movies is that it's one of the few science fiction franchises that has a large number of minorities in right. it. There's black characters, there's Hispanic, there's Asian mm-hmm. characters. It's got the whole spectrum of humanity in right. it, which is what I like. I don't knock them as much as I used to, but they're not the end-all, be-all that they were hyped to be. Mm-hmm. The Matrix was overhyped. I think it also killed other has-worthy, if not more-worthy films that were released around the same time. Right. Oh, like Equilibrium. Yeah. Remember me and you always talking about that, that everybody... And in fact, I will reveal right up front that Mm -hmm. it is one of the three obscure movies I'll be talking about come January. And deservedly so. I Mm -hmm. love that movie. So if you're interested about us talking about how Matrix killed Equilibrium, wait for the annual obscure movies And if you've never seen Equilibrium before, it's one of Christian Bale's earliest Mm -hmm. movies. It's also got Tay Diggs. Netflix it and watch it so you know what we're talking about come January. It's an excellent movie. Uh, Moving right along. One more piece of viewer mail and then we'll get to the Stephen J. Canellness. And it's from our good friend, the person who hosts our show. Not host, like we're hosting it. And the person who sat down and talked with us about some Star Trek movies, Michael David Sims. That's swine. And he says, hey guys... Having thought about it, I now feel Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, is the best the entire franchise produced. The 11th movie, Re-Reboot, Re-Action Trek, is still my favorite for pure, visceral excitement and action, but The Undiscovered Country is a smart, brilliantly written, directed, and acted film that perfectly captures both the vision Gene Roddenberry had of the future and the then-current real-world political climate. It's also relevant to the here and now. And that's the mark of a great piece of art. When it means something to the past, present, and future, that sets it above everything else in its particular form. Cheers, Michael David Sims. Okay. Sounds good to me. Nothing I can't pick apart. Okay. 
So now that we're done, it's time to get everybody seated and time to put Stephen J. Cannell on the docket. Although this is one of these episodes like the Roger Corman episode where we're using the director's court to get you people to download things that you wouldn't otherwise do because we're going to talk a lot about how great this man was. Yeah, and he was a very great man back during the 80s. I know that you've talked about great ages of television yeah. in the past and there was the age of Aris Spelling. Mm-hmm. When Aris Spelling ruled the airwaves and in similar fashion there was a Stephen J. Cannell era. Where's Stephen J. Cannell? There was a period in television where if it wasn't an Aaron Spelling show it was a Stephen J. Cannell show. Mm-hmm. Should I do the biography? Yeah, let's give him a quick little bio of the man first. Stephen J. Cannell was born in February 5th, 1941 in Los Angeles, California and raised in nearby Pasadena. His parents, Carolyn and Joseph Knapp Cannell, owned a chain of furniture stores. He struggled with dyslexia, as we've mentioned earlier, in school, but did graduate from the University of Oregon in 1964, the year I was born, with a Bachelor of Science in Journalism. After college, Cannell spent four years working with the family business before selling his first script to the Universal series It Takes a Thief in 1968. He was quickly hired by the television production branch of Universal Studios and was soon freelance writing for other crime dramas such as Ironside and Columbo. Not long after, he received his first full-time gig as the store editor of Jack Webb's police series, Adam 12. He created, or co-created, nearly 40 television series, mostly crime dramas, including The Rockford Files, my absolute all-time favorite, mm-hmm. The Greatest American Hero, The A-Team, Wise Guy, 21 Jump Street, Silk Stockings, and The Commish. In the process, he had, by his own count, scripted more than 450 episodes and produced, or executive produced, get this, over 1,500 hours of commercial television. After he was finished on television, because it came a time when television was interesting. I think the last thing he tried to produce was a remake of Hawaii Five O, starring of all people Gary Busey. Gary Busey, yeah. He walked away. He didn't become one of these people who kept trying to sell off his work. He walked away and reinvented himself as a mystery novelist. Well, okay, in that little transitional period, yeah. he, he actually did a lot of acting, amazingly yeah. enough. He was a character on the Lorenzo Lamas series, Renegade. Mm-hmm. He was yeah. the bad guy who was chasing him. He did some acting in some movies, I remember. Right. He was in a western. Mm-hmm. We were talking about it before, I think, we came on the air, about how he was in a recurring character on Castle. Yeah, he did a fair piece of acting before he finally mm-hmm. settled down, and yeah, he became a mystery novelist, and he wrote a whole bunch bunch of novels. He actually also did have his own production company. Right. Separate called Canal Productions. Oddly enough, the first show it ever produced was a show that I know that a couple of people that have guest hosted have talked about. What's that? Profit. Oh yeah. Great, great show. Way ahead of its time. Oddly enough, it's pretty funny. He has only had the one remake, which is of course the 2010 A-Team movie. The A-Team, yeah. Which he was executive producer for and... Oddly enough, they got right. It wasn't just, well, we're going to throw everything out and just do the core. The 18, that was mm-hmm. one of the best movies I saw last summer, which easily could have got lost in the source yeah. of all those other movies that we talked about that were the same thing. It was a bunch of specialists mm-hmm. getting together for a mission, but they got the core of the 18 right because they got the chemistry right. between the characters. And like we were talking about when we were talking about the new Sherlock, yeah. which if oh, you guys haven't yeah. seen, you should be watching. They got the chemistry between mm-hmm. Sherlock Holmes and Watson Wright and if you buy into that you'll buy into the rest well the A-Team is the same thing if you believe in these four guys you're going to go with the rest of it perhaps his most famous literary creation was the detective Shane Scully mm-hmm. who appeared in ten novels it was almost was one a year I guess The Prostitute's Ball is the last one so yeah. for obvious reasons I'm going to give you a kind of a highlight reel 
mm-hmm. of some of his TV shows that he was involved with, either on an acting or writing level, or both. Well, just go down a minute. Adam go- 12, we already mentioned. Okay. The A-Team, Baba Black Sheep, Beretta, Booker, Broken Badges, Chase, Cobra, The Commish, The DA, The Duke, The Greatest American Hero, Hardcastle and McCormick, The Hat Squad, Hawkeye, Hunter, J.J. Starbuck, The Last Precinct, Magnum P.I. as an actor, mm-hmm. The Hundred Lives of Black Jack Savage, Pacific Blue as an actor, Palace Guard, Prophet, The Quest, Renegade as an actor, mm-hmm. Richie Brockman, Private Eye, Riptide, Rockford Files, The Rousters, Silk Stockings, Sunny Spoon, Stingray, Stone, Street Justice, one of my all-time favorites, Ten Speed and Brown Shoe, mm-hmm. Toma, Top of the Hill, 21 Jump Street, and these two are ones I really, really liked. Do mm-hmm. you ever see Unsub? No. David Soul. It, it was kind of like CSI before anyone really thought of CSI. It was David Soul heading an FBI task force into serial killers. Oh, okay. The idea was, as they constructed their profile, we as the viewers would see how right or wrong they were. Oh, okay. But they would do the things with Soul and his team doing the... That sounds like an NBC show. It was. You got it in one. Why did of course. I, well, so when you describe it, it sounds like an NBC show. Because there was that whole period where NBC really loved the idea of, of serial killers. Yeah, Because yeah. it was not long after this that we saw Profiler. Profiler, which yeah. Which I really, really liked. Which you liked, yeah. And finally, another one of my all-time favorite series, mm-hmm. Wise Guy. You mentioned Toma. Toma was an interesting show in that Beretta was actually a remake of Yeah, because I, uh, wasn't it like Toma. David Mustante? Tony Mustante played the real-life detective yeah. David Toma, who apparently used disguises yeah. in his work. I don't think they like Tony Musante very much, yeah. but they reworked the show and they recast it and renamed it and that's where we got the more famous with Robert Blake, right. Beretta, which ran a long time yes, on ABC, I remember mm-hmm. when I was a kid. Friday night, what were you watching? Beretta. Beretta. He created a character who, no less than Ross McDonald, mm-hmm. one of the greatest private eye novelists of all time. Right. Would you agree with me on that? Yeah, I'll go along with you on that. Uh, a character yeah. Ross McDonald claimed Travis McGee. Yeah, yeah. He was once asked to write a article for TV Guide where he evaluated the various private detective shows that were on mm-hmm. and whether they would make good books. The only one he said mm-hmm. would make a great series of literary mm-hmm. adventures was Jim Rockford. Yeah, well, the Rockford Files, that's on most mystery writers' lists. Mm-hmm. If it's not number one as the best private life slash detective mm-hmm. show of all time, it's in the top five. And most people I know, you and plenty of others you cited, you always yeah. say, that's the best. When I was a little kid, because it was on a Friday nights, I would get yeah. to stay up to watch it because right. I loved it, it so much. There you go, yeah. My mother wouldn't let me stay up to watch Kolchak because that would give me nightmares. But she let me stay up and watch Rockford. Yeah, I got to stay up and... Well, I didn't watch Rockford. I was watching Beretta on the rival yeah. <laughs> This is actually something that we should bring up. Especially in this day and age where you have these shared televisual universes. Mm-hmm. He was the first one. He was the guy who started this idea because you would have characters that were created for Rockford Files later show up on other shows. Right. And you would have this... Person. Richie Brockman. Well, yeah, Richie uh, Brockman. Yeah. That, that was one of the cool... Rockford had that kind of almost like Greek chorus of other private detectives that would drift in and out of his cases. Because there was Lance White, too, who I think was one of your favorite characters. Who was played by Tom Selleck. Right. Who was the perfect P.I. He mm-hmm. never did anything wrong. And any time he Jim showed up, him. he would drive Rockford 
crazy. Yeah. There was uh, Isaac Hayes. He would show up every once in a while. Never got his name right. Always yeah. call him Rockfish or Rockclaw <laughs> yeah. or, or Rockhead or something. Never call him mm-hmm. Rockford. I'm trying to remember if it was the Rockford Files. No, it was. It was Tenspeed and Brown Shoe that introduced the Tedesco family. Yeah, Tenspeed and Brown Shoe. Which Rock. is the, the Doctor Doom of the Canelaverse. Yeah. <laughs> because in every show... Yeah. There's always a mention of Crazy Tommy T. Crazy Tommy Tedesco. You're either going to hear about Crazy Tommy T or the Tedesco family right. as a whole. In One fact, Hunter. Uh, Rick Hunter was related to yeah. Was his cousin, right? Crazy Tommy T was his cousin. Which he didn't keep a secret, but he wasn't exactly too proud Richard of Richard Romanus, who played Richard Crazy Romanus, yeah. Tommy T. He shows up in this character as the team In episode. the A-team, yeah. This happens all over. I would have loved to sit down with Mr. Connell and ask him, well, okay, was Crazy Tommy T a kid that used to take your lunch yeah. money <laughs> he was in school? Because it had to be something that he had this character in every one of his shows. Yeah. And then you also had what happened with Ben Vereen. Because Ben uh. Vereen was one of the two stars of Ten Speed and Brown. She was a show that sadly only lasted a season. It was the show that, inter- well, at least it was my introduction yeah. to Jeff Goldblum. Mm-hmm. I had never seen him before. And seeing this gawky, lanky guy, this low-talking, this slow-moving, and he's always got this intense look, and pairing yeah. him with Ben Vereen was a masterstroke because he was playing this yeah. con man. That's why they called him Ten Speed because he changed gears so right. fast. And he could pull off scams and like... That that was a great show. I loved that. And I'm, you make an excellent point. You would think that yeah. a lot of these shows would be right for me. Me, I would love to see a new the one with Brian Keith as the crazy judge. Oh, Hardcastle in the Corner. Yeah, I love that show. Which is kind of almost like a superhero show if you think about it. He would send out McCormick and his super interceptor. Yeah, he had the race car. Yeah. It was supposed to be the Monday Lone Ranger. Yeah. That's what Connell said himself. But he played this crazy judge that sat on the bench and he right. had his underwear on, but he always had the Magnum yeah. 44 up under his arm. <laughs> and he got McCormick out of jail. And right. He was the leg man. Yeah, I loved that show. But when Ben Vereen sadly fell on some hard times, mm-hmm. Stephen J. Connell was there and gave him a role on J.J. Starbuck. Playing the same character. Yeah, which once again creates this... I even think that the Tedesco family was somehow brought in in some way in Wise Guy in that first season. If it was a Stephen J. Connell show, somewhere there was a mention right. of the Tedesco family. He got it in. That's why I said Crazy Tommy T must have been a kid that beat him up every day <laughs> and took his lunch money or whatever. It had to be. Another show I love too. A lot of people, they thought that it was Miss Connell ripping off his own success with the A-Team. But I don't think so because to me it was a different show. Riptide. I don't think that was at all. It was the two brothers on the houseboat. It was the two guys. No, they weren't and the robot. They were, they were best friends. Right. And they were private eyes. And what the deal was was that they weren't making a lot of money. So they yeah. figured that they needed an edge. So they went and got their buddy, who was a Bill Gates lookalike. Tom Matthews. Was right. The played Bosworth. They got him because he was a technological yeah. genius. And they brought him in. So it was the three guys living on a houseboat called yeah. Riptide. And they were going around solving mysteries. The thing that always kind of puzzled me is that these guys never seemed to make any money from being private eyes. Mm-hmm. But yet, they had enough money to have gas for not only their boat, right. but they had a speedboat. Mm-hmm. They had two vintage cars. Right. And they had a UE helicopter. <laughs> And the robot. And the robot. Don't forget the robot. Yeah. <laughs> but it was 
a very light, very relaxed yeah. show. It wasn't heavy, and which is, I guess you could say a lot about Stephen Cannell yeah. shows is that a lot of them, with the exception of Wise Guy, which was... Wise ooh. Guy was dark, Unsup yeah. was dark, yeah. Profit was Prophet very yeah. dark. Most of his shows, especially during the 80s, yeah. which is the period where, I guess... The height he, of his career, yeah. Right. Most of these shows were just light cotton candy sort of entertainment. Yeah. But, to me, what I liked about him is that they had all these quirky characters, and he was mm. always doing shows that was the theme he had. I noticed that he had a thing about friendship and bonding and right. loyalty because he very rarely had a solo mm-hmm. hero doing Stingray. That was right. the only one where he had the guy was the government agent right. driving around in a Stingray by himself. Mm-hmm. But when you look at shows like The A-Team, right. Four Friends, Riptide, it was the I mean, guys. even Rockford. The thing that I think is so brilliant about Rockford as a show is that mm. it's not about Jim Rockford going around busting crooks. Yeah, he's not Philip Marlowe. It's about this beautiful relationship mm-hmm. he has with his father and with his friend from the joint yeah. Angel. That's the core of that show that makes it work. There's also the various other satellite characters like Beth Davenport was It's like it? the mystery was almost yeah. second place mm-hmm. in a lot of you a lot know, of the rock uh, A lot of them that I can remember. I'm not as much in love with them. I like the show, don't get me wrong and right. I think that you never see such casting as they did when they got yeah. Jim Garner to play Jim Rockford because once you watch that show and see a couple of episodes, it ruins you for thinking of anybody else to play yeah. that character. You can't imagine. Me, myself, I was more of a Magnum fan. That was my show, Thomas Magnum. I loved him. To me, that's the best private eye show. But I can see why people have such an affection for that show, right. The Rockford Files. And I think that if there's any show besides the 18, that's the show that Stephen J. Cannell most Those people know two, him. And there's one no. more show I would put up there has the shows that really I think are going to be his legacy. Mm-hmm. And you may not agree with me on this, but it's 21 Jump Street. Why? Yeah, Johnny Depp. It was, <laughs> not just Johnny Depp, uh-huh. it was the show more so than Married with Children. More so than America's Most Wanted. It mm-hmm. was the show that kept Fox alive. Oh, yeah, put it During that yeah. critical early year. Yeah. You remember those first two or three years, they drew all sorts of shit on the wall. They had all kinds of stuff. Me and you are probably one of the few people that remember Beans Baxter. Bean, the Avengers <laughs> Beans Baxter. Mrs. President. Mrs. President, yeah. <laughs> That was Madeline Kahn, wasn't it? It was Madeline Kahn, Mrs. President, yeah. Uh, they, I had a fondness for the sitcom Women in Prison. Oh, man. You got the impression that there was a Fox executive standing on a street corner somewhere yeah. with a clipboard saying, hey, you got an idea for a TV <laughs> right. show? And he wrote it down. Yeah, okay, this will work. And he ran back up. Yes. Okay, this is going to work. Oh, man. Cause During like, those first... They, they were throwing anything yeah. they could on the screen. Hoping During it was those play. first... Five years or so. Yeah, they were struggling. They were struggling so badly. And if it wasn't for 21 Jump Street and later Married with Children. And the Simpsons came along yeah. much later, yeah. Well, the Simpsons grew out of the Tracy Ullman show. Yeah, the Tracy Ullman show. part of that first right. of shows. Right. Remember the one that they really bore betting the house on? What's that? Duet. Oh, that yeah. was the show they were really thinking was going to be the one that took off. And mm-hmm. everybody hated it. Yeah, I hated it too. <laughs> but well, the problem had- was with, with the duet was that it was a show about two self-absorbed morons and everybody else around them was interesting. Yeah. So we were like, we don't give a shit about we these two falling yeah, in love. Yeah, we want to see the rest of these people. Yeah, we want to see Chris Lemon and Alison LaPlaca Oh, yeah. To the I point was... where, if you remember, during the last two seasons, it became Chris Lemon and Alison LaPlaca show. Yeah, well, they completely retooled it. Yeah, they, and then they got rid of them. They re- <laughs> entirely. They retooled the show and they put it in a 
an office setting. Yeah. Because that was the first time. It became open house. It became the first. It became open house because that was the first thing that Ellen DeGeneres, that was her first yes. acting job. She yes, was the receptionist was. on that show. Not only that, Bill Maher. Bill Maher, yeah. Sunday night, they put anything on there. Remember Oops? Oh, God, I was going to bring that up. The post-apocalyptic comedy. Right. It was a nuclear disaster. There was only six people yeah. left on the... Until Aaron's... We're talking again Herman's about... Head. Yeah. I loved Herman's Head. Until Aaron Spelling came up with Beverly Hills 90210, Pinnell had that network on his back. Yeah. And in fact, he even spun off something from 21 Jump Street, which is Booker, Booker. with Richard Grieco. I love Booker. I like Booker a lot. It mm-hmm. didn't last, I think Booker only lasted one like season. A season. It lasted a season, a season and a half. Yeah, but I really like Booker. This man has had such an impact on this world. And also, let's face it, he was one of the people, I love the fact, he just wanted to do television so much that when the writer's strike happened, mm-hmm. he said, okay, screw that, I'm just going to take these scripts I wrote for the, the Rockford Files and rewrite them and put them on Sunny Spoon. Yeah, which didn't... Didn't make people happy. Yeah, Mario Van Peebles. And he tried hard, but yeah. yeah. But I think it's one of the reasons why, you'll notice there's almost like two ages of Canal. There's the light, frothy stuff. I think the last light, frothy thing was Broken Badges, that really bad CBS hour-long show about... I don't remember that. It was a police psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. putting together a squad to tackle unusual cases in Los Angeles mm-hmm. composed of cops who otherwise would have been expelled from the force. Okay. So you had one guy who was so introverted, mm-hmm. he could only speak through his ventriloquist dummy. You had one guy, of course, who was really violent. It didn't last very long. I think it only lasts about five or six episodes. Well, you know something? And this is the interesting thing about Stephen J. Cannell also. Mm-hmm. When the man had a hit, he had a hit. It blew up. Yeah. Boom, it was huge. But when the show bombed, it really bombed. And some of those, like one of my personal favorites, this is a show I guess nobody watched or nobody liked except me. Mm-hmm. I like the Rousters with Jim Varney, Chad Everett playing mm-hmm. Wyatt Earp III, a direct descendant of him. And it was him, Jim Varney. They were bounty hunters, mm-hmm. but they were also Rousters working for the circus. And right. in between their circus jobs, they were right. going out catching these criminals. I enjoyed that a lot. A lot of people didn't like that show. Baba Black Sheep. Yeah, well, that, that was a big about three years. Yeah. yeah. There was another one that you mentioned oh, yeah, the Duke. The Duke if I remember that was like Robert Conrad, wasn't it? Was it? I don't remember I, that one. He was a former boxer who had become a private detective. The Hat Squad also is one that oh, I remember. Oh, th- that's the one I was thinking about. That one was set in the 1930s. Yes. Yes. That was his take on The Untouchables. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know? And it was about, if anybody out there, if you've ever seen the movie Mulholland Falls yep. with Nick Nolte, that was basically the hat squad. Right. It was a bunch of cops, and they called them the hat squad because they all wore stylish fedoras. Right. And they were charged with keeping organized crime out of Los mm-hmm. Angeles. And it was a period piece. I liked it a lot. Yeah. But then I liked period pieces. Like right. the Rousters, it only lasted about a season. But I think that when it became obvious to him that television didn't want that kind of stuff, he reinvented yeah. himself, which which is why we have the second age of Canal with Wise Guy and Unsub. And Silk Stalkies, another thing that he did to put a certain network on the map. Yeah, that was USA, right? It was, was, a US, yeah. it was an original I show. I don't think I ever watched the episode of that show. It was a reason. co-finance deal between USA Network and CBS mm. during one of CBS's many attempts before David Letterman finally signed with them mm. to create a opposition to The Tonight Show. And their idea was CBS was going to do a block of shows called CBS After Dark. Right. 
which is going to be a bunch of racy TV shows. Because I remember they had, what was the one, Swift Justice or Blind mm-hmm. Justice yeah. about the judge. And at night he went out mm-hmm. he was nemesizing the bad guys. <laughs> he would turn the day he was on the bench. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what was the other one? Oh, Sweating Bullets, which I like. I like Sweating Bullets a lot. Silk Stockings, the first episodes would show up on CBS, and then they would show on USA. On USA. And when CBS gave up on CBS After Dark, that was the first of the Characters Here show. Silk Stalking, of course, being the show about the police detectives who specialized in sexual crime, which makes it kind of like Free, a, uh, yeah. to Law and Order SVU. SVU. The show that now is carrying the Law and Order franchise. Oh, yeah. Pretty much. It's At the, least until we get the Law and Order channel, which I'm expecting to show up any well, day now. we have Law and Order London and Law and Order Moscow... Lord, what a UK isn't bad. I, How is Ajima Freeman on that? Because she's very good. And as a matter of fact, I was about to say that's why I started watching it. Because when I saw the commercial for it, I wasn't planning on watching it. Then right. I saw, I said, "Oh my God, it's Martha Jones!" I said, "Martha Jones!" <laughs> I said, "So let me go." And she plays. She's a lawyer or a barrister, as they call it. But she works. So for, she's the DA. Yeah, they don't call them DAs over there, right, but that's where she yeah. is. Yeah, but it's a decent show. Dick Wolf really wants to be Stephen J. Canal. We should mention that. No, no, you don't think so. No, I don't think so because he got this one good trick and he keeps doing it over and over and over and over again. Stephen oh, J. Well. Canal, at least he shook up the formula. Right. You know? I don't know because there have been attempts that Dick Wolf did to do other things. You remember Crime and Punishment? No. Crime and Punishment was set in Los Angeles. Rachel Tanakhton okay. was one of the two detectives. And the idea was it was the same sort of dual structure of Law and Order. Okay. The first half we saw the crime being committed. The second half we saw how the detectives solved the case. And he also was the man responsible for the Dragnet remake that you okay. and I loved so much right. that they fucked over after the, the first, first season. Se- first season I liked it. Yeah. They changed the Dragnet, to Dragnet. L.A. Dragnet. LA, when they changed the top, that's when I knew it was going right in the toilet. Yeah. When it wasn't about Ed O'Neill's Joe Friday anymore. It yeah. was Joe Friday has... It was a live action version of the old Dick Tracy cartoon series. Yeah. Dick Tracy would sit in his office and go, oh, I see Flat Top is causing trouble. I better call Go-Go Gomez. Go-Go Gomez. And what would happen was that there would be some crucial point in the plot where the bad guy, whoever it was, with flat top or the brow or, or the mole or whatever, mumbles, would have Gogo Gomez in a death trap. And he would say, hold everything, please. And everything would stop. Yeah. And he'd get on the Gogo Gomez calling Dick yes. Tracy, which was no help at all because Dick Tracy just said, listen, I'm busy. Handle this shit on your own. You know what Dick Tracy was probably doing? Playing Nintendo. Even though it was billed as a Dick Tracy cartoon, Dick Tracy did nothing. <laughs> Tracy did more in those little five-minute shorts that they did for the Archie Funnies. Yeah, it was hilarious. Oh, yeah, but I like Well, we'll never see them because they're all... There was Jiu-Jitsu. That was the Japanese character. Right, there was a whole bunch of different... There was even a dog. I forget the the dog's name. The English Bulldog, yeah. Yeah, oh. There was three or four different agents that he had. And they were all racial stereotypes. And they were all racial stereotypes. Which is why you will never see this cartoon ever on television again. And Jiu-Jitsu, he would grab the brow and he would... So sorry, boom. Excuse yeah. please, bam. So sorry, bam. Excuse Remember please. when the Warren Beatty Dick Tracy film came out? Yeah. And WWR started running them and it lasted a week because everyone was going, what the fuck is that shit? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can get the Dick Tracy cartoons. Those cartoons that we're talking about, yeah. folks, they are on DVD because I have seen mm-hmm. them in Walmart. They've got them all collected in a nice little package shaped like Dick Tracy's head. I considered getting it, but... <laughs> 
because some things about your childhood shouldn't be tampered with, and you should just leave yourself with Which the memory is, is of it. Which is what I learned when I picked up once, because I, I was at a Target once, this was many years ago, and I found, for $7, the Speed Racer first season, and I couldn't get past the first episode. It was mm. so slow. I just remember it as a kid being like, yeah, yeah, go, go. Yeah. That's why I like the movie so much, because the Wachowskis got that whole... Yeah, yeah, go go. What I was like, okay, that part right. Okay, now see, we were talking earlier at the top of the show about the Matrix. Now see, the Matrix, I could take a leave it. To me, Speed Racer, that's what I love the Wachowskis right. for. As a Speed Racer fan from way back, they got it right. They got the look, the tone. They got everything right. And I'm, enough out of you, Wilson. Wilson, who? Ian Wilson. He hates the movie. He hates the movie. He hates the movie. Why does he hate the movie? Well, maybe we can ask him, because he's one of the seven people who's going to be calling in. You bet your ass I'm going to ask him why. <laughs> Anybody who don't like Speed Racer got to fight with me, because that movie is the fuck. Yeah. You knew I was going to get like, a sugar-rushed, excited phone call when you lent it to me, right? If By the end, you're not singing along. Here he comes, here comes Speed Racer, he's a demon on wheel. Oh, man, if you're not singing at the end, boy, you just ain't got no heart. But this is about Steven J. It's about Steven J. Canal, and we got into far feel for a second. You and I have gone to loggerheads on director's court many times about the idea of a person selling his legacy. Ah, yeah. Here's an example of a man who did not sell his legacy. Well, maybe that's why we haven't gotten a remake of you know, The Rockford, Rockford Files. Files, or we haven't got a big feature film version of it. Right. I don't think that we should. Jim Garner and Jim Rockford is kind of so... That's the problem. It's like, who would you cast as Rockford? Exactly. I'm looking at this thing, and I'm trying to think outside the A-team, if there's any other show that they have talked about, we keep hearing Greatest American Hero every couple of years. Yeah, every couple of years. There was one time, I know that it was supposed yeah. to be Chris Rock was going to be in the feature film. At one point, they were talking about doing it with a female. The actress. Greatest American Heroine. They actually cast that one because they actually saw production stills Okay, with the woman mm-hmm. in the costume. This is during the 90s towards the tail when he decided just to become a writer full time. Yeah. After the busted Hawaii Five-0 pilot. I've, not, I've seen the opening credits. The opening credits Thanks credits, for our yeah. good friend John S. Drew. I've not seen the pilot itself before I understand it. It's legendarily bad. Really? Probably well, we haven't seen it. And that's why we have the Hawaii Five-0 we have now with a great cast including Grace Park. Yeah, but the greatest American hero mm-hmm. that really plenty of time and I know I remember reading this Robert Townsend yeah. wanted to do it at one time and when that fell through, which is why he created the Meteor Meteor Man. Man. Yeah. Looking Uh, at this list, if there's one thing I think you could do a remake of and not be horrified by, it would probably be 21 Jump Street. Which, again, I'm surprised they haven't done that. They brought back 90210 and let's not forget Melrose Place, which lasted, thank God, was canceled at first season. Right, right. I'm surprised to see, because you figure, what is the whole point of 21 Jump Street? It's young-looking cops who look like teenagers dealing with teenage problems. Right. That isn't a CW series. I don't know know what is. I don't know what is. But there's a lot of them. Harder Castle and McCormick. I'd love to see them remake that for TV. Riptide might be an interesting. There you go. There's some of them that, you know, you couldn't make. You know what I would love to see as a feature film? What? Profit. I think Profit could work as a feature film. I think so. I don't think it was too dark for television. Then, but now you could do it. You could put it. But you have to do it as an HBO or Showtime. You could even put it on something like FX. Nip Tuck and something like that. And they got into some pretty dark waters there. Even AMC, because AMC's got Mad Men, and that's supposed to be pretty Right, yeah. That show was ahead of its time, probably. Just like Action was. Because they was on it around like the same time. And both of them were far ahead of their time, what it is. But now, you could look at it, and people wouldn't blink an eye. The point we're trying to 
make here is that this is a guy, unlike Wes Craven, unlike mm-hmm. John Carpenter, mm-hmm. who, when he found he wasn't wanted at the table anymore, found another table. Well, that's what he did. Yeah. yeah. Well, see, that's the whole point. Stephen J. Connell was a practical man. He was a businessman. He wasn't just a creative man, which is a rarity to find mm-hmm. somebody who is that talented creative-wise and business-wise. And once he found that his time had passed, he didn't keep banging on the door saying, yeah. you got to let me in. Okay, I'm going to write books. It also, I think, freed up time for the other thing, which is, of course, he was an advocate for research into dyslexia. Mm-hmm. There's supposedly an excellent documentary about dyslexia, which is called... He says as he looks up the proper name, Dyslexia, spelled D-I-S-L-E-C-K-S-I-A, the movie, which he was interviewed very extensively for. Another thing that I could almost see as a big screen movie mm-hmm. is Wise Guy. Oh yeah, okay, yeah, Wise, Wise Guy. Well, I could see that more as profit. There are prospects there, but I like the fact that the only one he took, it looked like he was waiting for the right people to do it. He wasn't just John Carpenter, as we put it, like, like Sausage. Okay, here's the fog. Okay, mm-hmm. here's the thing. Mm-hmm. He waited for the right people to approach him. Well, that's why it took us so long to get an 18 movie, because he waited for the right people. Right. Because he had the money coming in from the book. Okay, well, see, this is it. And see, you, you think that John Carpenter and Wes Craven have got this vault of money sitting someplace. No, I, maybe they don't. But see, Stephen J. Cannell always had a steady income coming in right. from his acting, mm-hmm. from his books. He had an empire. And you're telling me that Wes Craven and John Carpenter couldn't have done the same thing. And gone and found some other way to creatively express themselves so they didn't want to do movies. But they didn't. Tom, you can't deal with what might have been. you got to deal with what is. And the bottom line is, you don't know their financial situation. I don't know their financial situation. All I know is they're making money. The only reason for me why to make money is for two reasons. One, you don't have any money. Or two, you just like making a whole shitload of it. (laughs) Sorry, I just think... No, listen... You're valid in what you're saying. I'm not saying you're not. And especially, I don't like seeing remakes of these classic movies, especially when they're not done very well. You and I are in agreement that there are as many flawed slash bad John Carpenter films as there are good ones. Well, sure. Why he doesn't choose, if he's going to have proportion remakes, the bad ones? That's what I would do. Yeah. I would take a movie that didn't work, and I would remake that, or let somebody else go remake that. Mm -hmm. But then again, those aren't the ones that people want to remake. Why do they want to remake Halloween? Because it's a brand name. Do you hear anybody now talking about Rob Zombie's Halloween or Halloween 2? They're not even going to make a Halloween 3, because that's a... Yes, again. They are? Halloween 3D. Oh, see, now I did not know that. Not just Halloween 3, Halloween 3 they're just D. not going to let this damn 3D die off. Hey, look, I'm happy that there have been a number of films that have said, no, we're not doing 3D. I like the fact that Warner Brothers has stood up and said, no, there will be no 3D for Harry Potter. There will be no 3D for The Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There will be no 3D for Superman. Mm-hmm. But I like the fact that Marvel Studios has also stood up and said, what, are you crazy? There's, yeah. We're not doing Thor in 3D Thor or Captain 3D, America yeah. in 3D. We're going to concentrate on making a good film. Making a good movie exactly it doesn't need a gimmick we talked about this before when canal did pass away earlier this year that day we were on the phone with each other saying, yeah i said did, did you hear who died yeah. i said oh my god stevie j canal i grew up and folks this was back in the dark days before dvrs and dvds if a show Although came a on, lot of canal shows now are available yeah well now you can see it. but back then when they originally aired you had to be home to see and i know me right. tuesday night i was home to watch the 18 mm-hmm. they had
had a team, and then Riptide came right. on right afterwards. I was home Tuesday night, as was a lot of people. And Wise Guy was one of those shows. That was another show I stayed home. That was a phenomenon, at least for its first. In fact, it was a, you could call it a crash and burn show. Speaking of our next episode that we're going to record right after this one, in that during that first season, it was the type of show people got together to watch. And it's the type of storytelling that now people take for granted. Yeah. But back then, the idea of a serialized story arc that went an entire season yeah. was what? Are you crazy? People aren't going to come back every week. They were so scared that people... Two 13-week serials? What? Yeah. Okay, this was the thing, folks. The network's was so terrified that people wouldn't even start watching it because that meant that they yeah. didn't want to commit themselves to coming back every week. Mm-hmm. They said, well, they're not going to do that. And if they miss one show or two shows, they're not going to go. However, the ratings proved them wrong right. on that. Because Although, sadly, CBS would not leave Canel yeah. well enough alone, exactly. which is why it's almost shocking if you watch the series back to back to back, the whole four seasons, one right after the other, how much the storytelling degrades from season to season. Exactly. You went from two 13-story well, arcs. you kept making them chop it yeah. up into smaller, smaller, you And know. then the second season, it was three storylines. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, they started adding the standalone story. And then the third season was a total and absolute mess. Because it was primarily standalone stories. You're right. With one or two, and it was some ridiculous shit like that one about the logger, which featured... Half the cast of Crime Story, which had been well, canceled. The, yeah, well, also by this time, too, Ken Wall went, was going crazy. You know, yeah. I went crazy. And <laughs> apparently, he woke up one day and said, fuck it, I'm going to go die. By the time <laughs> we get to the fourth season where they decide, well, fuck you, Ken, we're going to get somebody else, the abortive Stephen Bauer season, yeah, CBS Bauer. had so given up on the show yeah. that they had put it on on Saturday nights at 10. Yeah. The death slot. Just put a stake through his heart. Why yeah. not get it over with? <laughs> you don't want anybody to see this yeah. show. Oh, that was funny. It was, it's, hey, you know what? Ken Wall is a really, folks, seriously, Ken Wall apparently just woke up one day and just said, I yeah. just want to go crazy. And that's what he did. Where <laughs> is Ken Wall these days? I have no idea. He did one movie that was one of the most bizarre diehard ripoffs I've ever yeah. seen. The Taking of Beverly Hills. Have mm-hmm. you ever seen that? I know of it. It was a TV movie. No, no. This was a theatrical movie. What happens is that there's a stretch on Beverly Hills with all of these exclusive right. shops, all these diamond stores and fur stores. A bunch of crooks mm-hmm. figure out how to close off the street and isolate it so that they can loot oh, it. Oh, that's what happened. What? He has had a few serious accidents, including a fall down a staircase that injured his neck. And since oh. a nearly fatal motor accident in 1992, Wallace faced a difficult road back. That's why he hasn't been acting mm-hmm. since... Although he did do those TV movies. He uh, did try a comeback once. Yeah, he, he did, try did a, a, a series of Wise Guy movies that I don't yeah. think Pinnell was involved in, if I remember correctly. I don't think so either. But I know he did a couple of made-for-TV mm-hmm. movies. He also tried to come back as acting as a TV But the thing is, is that Wise Guy couldn't work as a done-in-one TV movie. Mm-hmm. If you're going to do it as a TV show, you have to have that serialized format. Right. Hey, somebody should bring that back now. Well, so, well, this is what I'm saying. If they brought it back now, this is why this show was so ahead of its time. Back then, folks, nobody was doing this serialized TV. Now we're used to it. We watch it. There were only two serialized TV crime shows on the air at that time. Wise Guy, Crime Story. Yeah, Crime Story. That's it. Now, we've become conditioned to the season-long story arc. Yeah. It's not about the standalone stories anymore. But back then, 
This was a radical concept. Nobody thought this was going to work. They said, no, it's crazy. People are not going to sit for a whole story spread out. And now it's standard operating procedure where even sitcoms have to have overriding arcs. Yeah. The most unlikely shows now have to have a chase villain and an overriding. That's a concept that has taken over TV, comic books. Right. Even the sitcoms. You got to have the story arc. That lasts a whole season. But then also, that comes about because of the DVD market. Because Mm -hmm. how else are you going to market DVDs unless you've got this whole story? I'm surprised that Wise Guy isn't on, because I looked for it, Wise Guy isn't on DVD right now. You know why I think that might be? Why? Probably because of the music rights. Because they did Uh, use a lot of contemporary music for the soundtrack. Especially during the second season when they did the Simon Nukeway arc. Right, which was all about the record industry. And they were doing, yeah. I love that arc because, first off, it gave Wall something else to do because he got into being a record executive. Yeah. And also because it had such a bizarre cast because you had Tim Curry as the main villain, mm-hmm. you had Mick Fleetwood, and you had, of course, and this is her big comeback, mm-hmm. Deborah Harry. That was the thing about Wise Guy. The casting, they even had the balls, they had Jerry Lewis as the bad guy. In the, the arc before that. The arc before yeah, that, right. The Steinberg arc. Right. I love that series because that was the first time that Ken Wall wigged out. And apparently Stephen A. Cannell loved Wall. What Michael Mann had done in Crime Story mm-hmm. because during his three seasons he used every one of those major actors mm-hmm. at some yeah. point or another in Wise Guy because mm-hmm. he brought in the actor who played Ray Luca. I know you talk yeah. about Anthony Dennison to play Terranova's replacement during mm-hmm. that arc. Jan Santucci was in it yeah. as well. That's right. Patricia Charbonneau. There you go. You gotta do it for me. I can never do it. Uh, oh, I love Patricia Charbonneau. Have you ever seen this movie she did called it's a really sleazy, nasty movie called Call Me. No. This is when phone sex was like a big deal in the yeah, late 80s. Yeah, yeah, It was about her getting into this relationship with this guy. This guy keeps calling her, making obscene phone calls to her, and then she starts talking back to him, and there's this one scene where she's talking to this stalker guy on the phone, and he's telling her to get an orange. And the things that happened to that orange... Ugh. Anyway. Folks, you don't want to see the look on Thomas' face right now. <laughs> To say it is slightly disturbing is an understatement. (laughs) So, to sum up, remind me to hide the orange juice when I go upstairs. This but was somewhat. a lot. We do want to mention a lot of his stuff is available on DVD. I think the entire run of Rockford Files, the, the A Team, is yeah. definitely on. The I think Baba Black, Baba Black, she might be out of print at this point. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure Jump Street is around. Yeah. A lot of his work is available if you want to visit it. And of those, I would recommend Rockford Files. Oh, absolutely. If you're going to have any two Stephen J. Connell yeah. series in your home library, it's got to be the Rockford Files and the 18. Right. I think that's quintessential Stephen mm-hmm. J. Connell right there. Some of his other shows, I think Stingray, as a matter of fact. Yeah. I think that's one. Because that was only two or three seasons. Yeah. That was it. I think Silk Stockings is also available. But go online and do your research yeah, and, and, and look it up. And if you find any of these, I'm sure you could probably find gray market versions of many of these shows. I would recommend if you can find it, Ten Speed of Brown Shoe. Yeah. The Commission is available, I'm sure. Yeah, that's available. On Which I think was his yeah. last great show of his first wave. And it introduced a gentleman by the name Michael Chiklis. Michael who went Chik- on. Well, that was his show that yeah. brought him back from exile. Stephen J. Connell gave him a job. Back when Michael Chiklis had hair. He recognized that the guy had got a pretty raw deal, yeah. and he gave him a job, and that put. Well, which once again is another example of Canal 
willing to lend a hand to somebody he cared about. Right. Hunter, I know, is on DVD Hunter, well. is, Hunter on... is pretty decent. It's, it's the most unquirky. It's a show that started off, frankly, in my it was, opinion, it was Dirty Harry. It was Dirty Harry, yeah. But over time, it kind of metamorphosized into its own animal. Yeah. If you just want straight I got, up... I gotta admit, when it was on, I had a thing for Stephanie Kramer. Oh, yeah, she was terrific. Although I hated that episode. The, the Brass Cupcake. Yeah. That's what they called it. I hated the very special episode where she got raped. Oh, yeah, everybody hates that. But it was meat and potatoes, cops and robbers stuff. That's what Hunter is. So if you like that type of stuff, then Hunter, that's definitely your type of show. So check on Amazon, check on eBay, see if you can find some Stephen J. Cannell and give it a look. Because this is a really gifted writer and a hero to both Derek and myself. And also apparently to Michael David Sims, because he mentioned it on the Star Trek show. Right. You do need to check him out. You can learn a lot if you're a writer from the way he set up pacing. Oh, absolutely. And yeah, I was about to say that characterization because that was the whole thing with his shows. You didn't forget the characters. You may not be able to remember the individual plots mm-hmm. of it, like you were just talking about. You never once mentioned any of the individual shows, but your thing was the character of oh, Rockford right. and the relationships he had between, between Rocky and that, Angel. Yeah. That's what you were taking. That was another one. Angel showed up in a number of other yes, shows. Yes, right. right. But see, that's the thing right. that you take away from a Stephen J. Cannell show. The characters. You right. remember these characters. You remember 10 Speed and Brown Shoe. You remember Hardcastle McCormick. You remember the 18. You you may not be able to say, okay, well, in this episode, this happened, this happened, this happened, but you do remember how it's they... It's funny, like, for example, Tense Me Brown Shoe, the one thing I remember is the shots of Goldblum in his office mm-hmm. reading those detective novels right. that were, of course, written by... Stephen J. Cannell. Because you always saw his picture on right. the back of the book. And he always did the voiceovers. You always remember how the A-team always had to trick B.A. and yeah. getting on a plane. It's stuff like that that Stephen J. Cannell, mm-hmm. we remember him for. Because USA Now, they go with, yeah, characters first. Well, that's what Stephen yeah. J. Cannell was there before USA when it came to characters. Mm-hmm. So I guess it's time for the administrative. Oh, f- first off. Yes. We need to put a decision on Stephen J. Cannell. And our decision is you will be missed. Oh, yeah. But you've earned your rest. Absolutely. And we will always remember you, my friend. Absolutely. Bogus charges. It was just an excuse to talk about how wonderful yeah. you were, sir. <laughs> I hope you don't mind us tuning in under false pretenses. So, it's now time for the administrative, I guess. Administrate away, my friend. Okay, whether you love us, whether you hate us, whether you want to tell us that you actually preferred... Cobra. Cobra, or the DA, or Hawkeye, or any one of the other shows we didn't talk about. What the hell was Hawkeye? I have no idea. I gotta tell you, I do not... I, I remember the last precinct, I think it only got past pilot. The, Wasn't that the show that dealt with the same precinct at three different yes. time periods in the 50s, yes. in the 70s, and then in the 2000s? Yeah, yeah. Yes. Oh, okay. If you thought that we should have talked about those instead of the A-Team and the Rockford Files and Wise Guy and mm-hmm. Bob Black Sheep, there's a number of ways you can reach us. You can send us an email at Better in the Dark at Earth2.net. That's better in the dark at Earth-2.net. You can join our message board at betterinthedark.proboards.com. You can join us on Facebook. We have a Facebook fan page. Just for typing better in the dark. A lot of major announcements are made on that Facebook fan page. Absolutely. So you, that's a place you want to be. And you can also become our friends. Yeah, we're on Facebook as well. And we also have a presence on live journals. Tom's is Space Monkey Mafia. And Derek's is Derek Ferguson's Notebook. Derek just finished doing a large... Was it reprints or were they all original essays? On? Oh, no, they were all movie reviews I have done before. Yeah. Some of them were from 
Derek Ferguson's the movie Notebook. Notebook and the return of Derek Ferguson's movie Notebook available Amazon.com. But it was Halloween. Yeah. And I said, well, you, just for fun, just let me throw up a whole bunch of okay. reviews since I had done it before. You're going to be seeing a few more because apparently I got a ton of emails from people that was telling me, why did you stop doing this? Let yeah. me do some more. I just put one up yesterday. Pontypool. For Pontypool. Which, yeah. And we're going to pull back the curtain a little bit. You've already told me is going to be one of your choices for the obscure mm-hmm. movies episode. Mm-hmm. If you go to pulpworkspress.com, mm-hmm. you can still get a copy of How the West Was Weird, Volume 1, because there's going to be a Volume 2, apparently. And congratulations is in order for my good friend over here, Thomas DJ, oh, wow. because his story was nominated by Ron Fortier. The uh, Yours was as well. The, no, well no, don't hide your light under a bushel. Yeah, but everybody knows I'm a genius. Okay. <laughs> No, but really, congratulations. Tom's story Thank was nominated you. for the awards that the, they about. The, the Pole Factory Awards. Yeah, right. The Pole Factory Awards as Best Short Story of the Year. El so, Cuevo's, and El Cuevo will be back. I'm working on the outline for Russ, which will see El Cuevo in Bronson Canyon during the 20s. Yeah, because I don't think Russ will mind me mentioning here that, yes, the green light has been given for How the West Was Weird. Volume 2. Volume 2. And if you like my story in that one, be assured Sebastian Red will ride again. I'm working on that story as well. So, yeah, we got a lot of good feedback mm-hmm. from that book. A lot of people liked it. So, we're going to do it again. Is there anything else we have not mentioned? Mm, yeah, we'll mention it next time if we forgot. Okay. So, I guess Let's, that means until next time, when you're cruising the Los Angeles underground looking for a team of mercenaries to help you with your problem, but then in swoops in a school teacher turned superhero, <laughs> fresh from a date at the courthouse with a judge who judges in his underwear, go, go see, see that, that TV, TV show. show. Good night. Good night. You pay my expenses, and if I prove that Ann Calhoun is innocent, you pay my expenses plus $200 a day. And no arguments, no bargains, no nothing. That's it. All right? You've been listening to Better in the Dark, featuring Thomas E.J. and Derek Ferguson. Special thanks go out to Patrick of Screen Queens, Des and Megan of Married to Movies, Tom Caters of Tom vs. Aquaman, Eric Froman, and of course, all you lovely members at the Better in the Dark message board at betterinthedark.proboards.com. Better in the Dark recorded this before news of a Rockford reboot came down the pike, and said news has chilled us to the bone. Send all comments, praise, hate mail, love letters, and pipe bombs to betterinthedark at earth2.net. That's betterinthedark at earth-2.net. Please vote for us on Podcast Alley, and why not leave a review of us on iTunes? Hey, maybe you can even visit the Better in the Dark Central site at www.bitdsite.com and check out all the amazing music available at www.b-hyphen.com. Better in the Dark is a Conspiracy Productions presentation in association with the Earth2.net community of podcasts. All material copyright, Thomas E.J. and Derek Ferguson. Until next time, remember that if you really must wake up one day and decide to go crazy, at least wear a silly hat when doing so. That's a legitimate, out-of-town, overnight expense. I didn't charge you for my new jammies.